All right, good morning. I am thrilled to be here this morning. Uh, I talked to a few of you. We had a week at our home. Uh, everyone has been sick for a week now. We're talking, I woke, Kit woke me up in the middle of the night the other night, 104.7 fever. Now, when you have that, you are really sick. Uh, luckily, your fever came down. I don't know how, but I have evaded this sickness. But I did have Joe on backup. I called him Wednesday night. It was like, hey, everyone's sick here. So far, I'm holding on. If I can't make it, can you begin Monster Month for us? <laughs> Not to put any pressure on Joe. But he rose to the challenge, and he was ready if I needed him. But I'm here this morning. I am so happy to be here. Honestly, I have been envisioning this moment for a year. So I'm just going to relish the moment for a second. <laughs> a few people have asked me, were you going to dress up? Maybe we'll get there. We have a few more weeks. We're just in the beginning. we got to start off here because Gina, you know what happens. If I start up here, then every single week has to. <laughs> so I can't go here because then I got to keep raising the bar and come on, we're just getting started with this one. <laughs> Many of you are probably wondering, how in the world is Dave going to turn Frankenstein into a sermon? <laughs> Just wait and find out. Yeah, so a year ago, I was watching all these movies, and I said, these would make for the perfect October series. Honestly, this series has been a year in the making. Uh, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Genesis chapter 2. Now, here's a collection of all the different universal monster movies. Does anyone see their favorite up here? Which one? Dracula. We'll get there. We're going we're gonna to hit up Dracula. D don't worry. We'll get there. Uh, what else we got here? The Wolfman. Maybe we'll get there. I'm still debating on the final one. Uh, any other favorites we see? Creature from the Black Lagoon. Anyone, any takers on that one? The Mummy. Well, this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk about Frankenstein. And in order to talk about Frankenstein, I want to talk about the book version of Frankenstein. Because if you have watched the universal movie of Frankenstein or any other version of Frankenstein, and if you've read the book, there are subtle or large differences depending on which version that you might watch. And as I read the book just a couple of weeks ago, I said, I don't want to give a sermon about the movie. I want to give a sermon about the book. So I read the 1818 version of the book, uh, which means if I ruin anything for you about the story, you've had 200 years to read this book. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> so yes, we might hit up some spoilers here this morning. Uh, but again, 200 years, so come on. Now let me give you a little outline of the book version, the literary version of Frankenstein. Here's the background about how Mary Shelley wrote the book. Mary Shelley went to Switzerland with a couple of friends of hers. They went there to retreat. There were some things happening at home, and she said, I have to get away with her friends, her boyfriend. They were trapped in this cottage, and it was rainy, and it was cold. It was dreary, and they said, all these fun outdoor activities that we want to do, well, we can't do them, and now we are trapped in our house. Whatever shall we do with our time? What did they decide to do? Someone came up with a brilliant idea. Hey, who can write the scariest ghost story? 
So her two friends, two dudes, they started writing, and it just flowed. They eventually gave up. But for Mary Shelley, she was having a really difficult time beginning her ghost story. She would lie in bed at night thinking about what could I possibly write about, but nothing would come to her. And then everyone would ask her every day, hey, have you started your story yet? No, 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 I'm still working on it. Well, out of the three friends there, whose became the most famous ghost story? Mary Shelley. So this was how Frankenstein began. There are a bunch of main characters in the story, but today we're going to simply look at two. We're going to look at Victor Frankenstein, which, okay, whenever you mention Frankenstein, Frankenstein is not the creature. Frank, it's very easy to forget that. We say, who are you going to be for Halloween? You're going to be Frankenstein. No, you're going to be Frankenstein's creature. You're not, unless you want to be the scientist. So you have Victor Frankenstein, who is this scientist. And then you have this nameless creature, which is so brilliant on Mary Shelley's part, because now you, as the reader, get to give this character a name or life. You get to decide, is this going to be a tragic creature, or will this be a monster? You get to decide what type of spirit will embody this creature. Absolutely brilliant on her part. Next time you're dressing up for Halloween or you see someone in a monster, it's not Frankenstein, it's Frankenstein's creature. So here's the two main characters, and the story begins with Victor Frankenstein, a young lad. He wants to go off and study. He wants to learn all about science. So he leaves his home and he travels to Germany in order to study science. And then he locks himself up in his lab for a while. He isolates himself from everyone else because he has a brilliant science project that is going to win the gold medal for sixth grade. You know those science projects? Yeah, so he's working on his own science project. And after about two years, he creates a living being in his lab. He had wanted to create life, and he achieves this. He does it. Now, do you think he would be ecstatic about this? Here's a project that he has been working on for years. He has poured everything into this. And then the creature comes to life. He lays his eyes on this creature, and he is absolutely horrified by his creation. Horror, horror, what have I done? And he flees his lab. He escapes. He runs as far away from the lab as possible because he can't bear to lay eyes on the thing that he has created. And then as the story continues, he becomes quite sick from this because he is haunted by what he's created. Uh, nightmares, everything. He just goes down and down, downward spiral for his entire life. Eventually, he returns to the lab after he has fleed from it, and he comes to discover that this creature has gone missing. Now, this just creates whew, all. He just further and further begins to spiral downward. Eventually, uh, he returns home to Geneva, and he has there's some glimmers of hope. He hasn't seen this creature in a while. He's thinking, well, maybe this creature is out of my life for good. Maybe I can finally escape from him and all those haunting nightmares. But as he returns home, he comes to discover that his younger brother has been murdered. And then as he looks into this murder a little more, he thinks, or he knows rather, it was my creature that did this. 
He's convinced. He looks at the details. He says, this very thing that I have created, it's following me, and now it is taking joy from me. It's removing the things that are closest to me. And he doesn't want to tell anyone else because he's like, they're going to think I'm crazy. If I say, well, I created this monster and now it's going around and it's killed. My, everyone's going to say, no, 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 there's no way. You're absolutely out of your mind. Stuff like that doesn't happen. It's only in fairy tales, Victor Frankenstein. Well, then he decides to go up to the mountains to restore his health. And as he's there sitting, pondering life, pondering what he has done, who do you think walks over to him and sits down next to him? His creature. And they begin to have this conversation. And the creature says, hey, listen, I've been searching for my father. I've been searching for my creator. Now that I have found you, I want to tell you my story. And it's quite a tragic story. There, there's a good portion of the book is dedicated to the story. And the creature begins to explain to Frankenstein about what has transpired since the time in which he was created. And he tells him how he has been rejected by every single person that has ever seen him. He goes into a town, he goes into a village. The villagers, they take one look at him, they run away, they run into their homes, they say flee, they wanna harm him. So he runs into the woods. He's rejected by society. Then here he is, he spends some time in the woods and he watches this cottage, the cottage of the De Lacy family. And as he's watching this cottage, his heart is filled with hope and with joy, and with love, because he sees the love that is happening within those four walls. He sees the love of the family. The older gentleman is blind, but he'll play guitar, and the kids will just sit there, and they'll listen to him play guitar at night. They'll make him dinner. He can just, from watching this family, he knows what it means to love. He knows what it means to be a part of a community, of a family a place of acceptance, and he longs for this. So during the night, because this is when he trounces around, during the night, he will perform all these small tasks for them, all these chores. He'll chop firewood, and then he'll leave it right there by the front door. Now, he won't show himself, he won't reveal himself, but he does all these chores, and the family will wake up in the morning, and they'll say, whoever would have done this for us? Who is showing us compassion? Because now instead of doing these errands and spending their time doing chores, they have more time to spend together. So they are overjoyed and thankful for whoever it is that is providing for them in different ways. Now the creature, as the longer that he's there, the more that he's watching, he has this grand scheme. He is going to one day reveal himself to this family and he will then become a part of the family. That's what his heart longs for. That's what he wants. He wants a home. He wants a family. People to journey through life with him. And he decides, okay, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to approach the blind father because then he won't be able to see me and he'll just hear my heart. He'll hear everything that I have to say and of course then he'll accept me and he'll tell his kids like, hey, here's this person I've grown to know and to love. He can come and be a part of our family. Well, eventually, after months of preparation, because he remembers what had happened a long time ago when he was rejected, so it's taking courage in order to go and now present himself to another living human being in the flesh. His plan eventually backfires. He's there speaking to this blind man, but then the family comes home, they see him, 
They scream in horror and disgust, run away, and he is rejected once again. He's telling this story to Frankenstein, and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to create a companion for me. I want you to make another creature like me who we can go and we can live in Australia, somewhere far away from anyone else, but I, I just need one person to share life with. And then I'll leave you all alone. So Frankenstein, at first he is horrified by this idea. He remembers what had happened last time. But then he relents and he agrees. Okay, I'll do this for you. They leave, they go their separate ways. Frankenstein is beginning to work on this creature. The creature is following him everywhere he goes because he's making sure that Frankenstein is holding up his end of the bargain. Well, one night, Frankenstein says, there's no way I can do this. There's no way. What if I can, what if I unleash more horror upon the world? And so he rips apart this companion that he was making for his creature. Creature sees this, and it all goes downhill from there. He begins, uh, he murders two more people, and then there is this pursuit where you have Frankenstein bent on revenge because the creature is bent on revenge and getting vengeance for Frankenstein not fulfilling his end of the bargain. They go, they run off into the Arctic wasteland where they both meet their end. 1818 story. Brilliant story. Oh my goodness. Go home and read Frankenstein tonight. It is, if I didn't ruin it already for you. Now, this is a tragic story. Tragic story. And there are many ways to read and interpret this story. Many, many different ways. I could probably give an entire sermon series on Frankenstein. Honestly, so many different themes. What I want to look at this morning is this one theme, how at the heart of Frankenstein, it reveals this desire for love, community, acceptance, and human connection. This theme is at the heart of the story of Frankenstein. Here's a picture I found. Love this picture. I don't know who drew it. I absolutely love what this is showing. Here's the DeLacy family. They're in their home, well lit. There's a candle radiating hope and joy and love in the background. The older father right there playing guitar. The family is right there. They're drinking their tea. I don't know what he's reading. Maybe they're reading a hymnal together. They're just loving life and enjoying family. And here's the creature, and he's outside. He actually, this is, you know how he learned to, to uh, speak? By listening to this family. He would just listen every single night. That's how he learned to speak. So here we are. It's at night before they go to bed, and he is right there longing for what they have. Yeah, it's a tragic story. And this picture, I think, really reveals the emotion behind the story of Frankenstein. And here is Frankenstein as he explains, or sorry, here's the creature as he explains to Frankenstein all that was going through his head. What had happened to him? Because after he left this cottage, he ended up going in the woods and these hunters, they were searching for him. He ends up getting shot. And here's how he explains this. This, getting shot, was the reward of my benevolence. I had saved the human being from destruction, and as a recompense, I now writhed under the miserable pain of a wound which shattered the flesh and bone. The feelings of kindness and gentleness, which I had entertained but a few moments before, gave place to hellish rage, 
and gnashing of teeth. Inflamed by pain, I vowed eternal hatred and vengeance to all mankind. My heart was filled with benevolence, kindness, love. But then because of what happened to me, because of my pain, because of what I experienced, I was filled with rage and hatred, desiring to seek vengeance and to inflict pain upon other people. See, at, at the core of Frankenstein is this question. What is our truest nature? Who are we at our core? Are we beings of love? The truest you, are you a person of love? Or, or at your core, a person of hatred, vengeance? Yeah, th this is the question that Frankenstein explores. Frankenstein's newly birthed nameless creature knew nothing. In the beginning, he knew only love. That's it. He went out to this village, this society, because he saw people and said, oh, wow, people, yeah, I want to join in with the festivities. I want to join in with the fun, the community, the life that they had. That's all he knew. He went in, heart was filled with hope, and then he was rejected. Same thing with the DeLacy family. He went to speak to this blind father, hopeful yet again that he would be accepted. There was benevolence and joy and hope in his heart. He was rejected, and now that benevolence has turned to rage, to anger. This creature was conditioned to become a monster through the hatred, prejudice, and rejection that he experienced. Is it a creature? Is it a monster? Well, it's a creature that becomes a monster because of the pain that he himself had experienced in life. And unfortunately, this isn't just words on a page. This happens in our world all the time. This happens in our lives, where we're people of love, of hope, of benevolence, kindness. We put our hearts out there and we get burned. And then that the, the goodness that we have within us, it begins to ever so slightly shift. It, it freezes over a bit, and the hope and the love that, that is true and eternal within us, it, it begins to shift, and, and now it becomes replaced by feelings of rage or anger, getting even or seeing others experience pain like ourselves. This is a question. This is a story. <laughs> it finds its origins all the way back here in the Bible. Right in the beginning of Genesis. Right in the beginning of this story about God at work in our world. We have a question. Well, who are we as people? Who are we at our truest nature? And think about Genesis 1. Everything is in its rightful place. There's harmony. There's shalom. There's love. Everything is flowing the way in which God intends. Then you get to Genesis 3, and sin has now entered the world. And all the goodness that was there in Genesis 1, it begins to get distorted. And 
pain enters into the world, this question of who are we at our truest nature, this is a question that humans have been exploring from the beginning of time. And here's how the Bible answers the question. It says you, as your truest self, at your core, you are a person of love. Yeah, sin doesn't define you. Too often, religious organizations or, or groups, they'll begin the story in Genesis 3. Well, at your core, you're, you're a sinner. Well, no, 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 no. We've got to go back to the beginning of Genesis 1, which says that you're filled with goodness. You're filled with love. And so then how do we heal the rift between our truest self that we discover in Genesis 1 and the false conditioned self that we see in Genesis 3? I mean, this is the story of Frankenstein. This is the story of the Bible. This is the story of your life. This is a universal question. <laughs> how do we heal our pain? How do we restore the truest part of who we have been created to be? Uh, I love how the creature answers this question. Speaking to Frankenstein, I am malicious because I am miserable. You ever experienced this before? I've been there. Yeah, I'm malicious. I'm mean. Uh, I lash out at others because I've been hurt. Because I'm miserable. Am I not shunned and hated by all mankind? Let mankind live with me in the interchange of kindness. So we all long for an interchange of kindness between all of us. And instead of injury, I would bestow every benefit upon him with tears of gratitude at his acceptance. How do we heal the rift? Kindness. Love. Community. Acceptance. Belonging. See, this is what the creature was seeking when he asked Frankenstein to make him a companion. Now, when the creature approaches Frankenstein and asks for a companion, where do you think Mary Shelley got her inspiration from? Genesis chapter 2. <laughs> it always goes back to the Bible. It always goes back to these ancient stories. As she's writing her novel of Frankenstein, she had Genesis in her mind. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone, which is what the creature quotes to Frank. It's not good that I'm alone. It's not good that I'm alone. Uh, so God says, I'll make a helper suitable for him. The Lord God formed out of the ground all the wild animals, the birds. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, which I would have loved to have seen that. Yeah, you. Um, yeah, we'll call you an ibis. Uh, got nothing else for you. Sorry, line's already taken. Uh, that, uh, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While he was sleeping, he took out one of the man's ribs, then closed up the place with flesh. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. This was her inspiration. Way, way back in the beginning of the story, all the way back in the beginning of the Bible, we have God making this declaration. It's not good for you to be alone. It's not good for you to live in isolation. That's not going to help you flourish. That's not going to draw out the best of who you are. It's not going to draw out the truest you. It is not good for you to be alone. Now, as we get to the story of Frankenstein, what we find here is that the pursuit of knowledge or work, because this is what Frankenstein did. 
He went after science. He left his family, this place of belonging, of acceptance, of community, and love, in order to go and pursue knowledge, his work. You ever get caught up in that before? Pursuing work at the expense of love and community? Yeah, or what about the pursuit of vengeance over love? I'm going to give in to my hatred. Sounds like uh, the dark side of the force. Give in to your hatred, Luke. Yeah, you, you give in to vengeance. You pursue that instead of love, and it just turns you into someone that you don't even recognize anymore. Or, or this idea, which I found really interesting in Frankenstein, the pursuit of isolation. I didn't know exactly how to term it, but what, what I kept thinking about as I read this book was here is Frankenstein. He was running from his pain. And he was keeping it to himself. He didn't allow anyone else into what he was experiencing, what he had been through. So he isolated, he shielded himself off from everyone else. You ever been there before? Your past is just too painful, and so you just keep it locked up within you, not sharing it with anyone else. And, and like what it was doing to Frankenstein, ever so slowly, your mental state, you begin to downward spiral ever so slowly. Whenever you lock yourself up and you hide your pain from yourself or from others and say, I'm never going to open that closet Again, yeah, as we pursue these things instead of love and community and acceptance, it leads to death. It leads to destruction. Uh, you could argue it leads to loneliness because it's you separating yourself from the love and the community that you need and that you truly desire. We need real connection with others for our flourishing and well-being. When I say real connection, I, I don't mean uh, texting on a phone. Uh, I don't mean talking to someone on online and a social media. I mean like real in the flesh, face-to-face, can see the person connection. Uh, we all need others who can share the entirety of our lives with, who we can share the entirety of our lives with. Yeah, we, we need other people in our lives. We, we all know this, and that's why uh, there are AI companion robots for the elderly, for those who are sick. Uh, our culture, our society recognizes it's not good to be alone. And so now we're creating robots, non-human people. It, it is actually helping. I would argue it's not as good as flesh to flesh and people need real human contact. Uh, but, but we're recognizing this. Our society is recognizing that there, there, there's something about being alone that's just not good for us as a society. Or what about this one? Here, here's how we recognize this as a culture. You can uh, order a cuddle buddy today. Have you heard about this? You, there's a website. If you would like to hire someone to come to your home, you can hire a professional cuddler who will come and cuddle with you on the couch or however uh, for... Uh, actually, a lot of these are free, so you can get a free cuddle buddy for a certain period of time because there's something about human touch. Think about after COVID. When we came back in person, it was that awkward, like, do I fist bump, shake hands? What, you know, what it, but everyone wanted a hug. Actually, I remember I was looking at Mary right now. Mary's like, can I hug you? I think like the first time I saw her, I'm like, yes, please do. 
because there's something about human touch. And without it, we're, we're lacking something. It's not good for us to be alone. We need the company of others, and people are recognizing this. And now you can, step four, or here you go, here, in case you want to know how it works. You sign up for free under 30 seconds. You can do this very quickly. Uh, you search for the nearest cuddle buddy, which might be, hey, right in the aisle next to you for all you know, like D4, Julian, I don't know. Uh, so then you message them. So Keaton's like, hey, Julian, can you come over to D12? Uh, then you meet up and you cuddle without it progressing to more. Uh, you can go and hire a cuddle buddy. Uh, and then he here's something else that I found extremely interesting when I heard about this. Uh, older Japanese women are shoplifting to find community and meaning in jail. Now, that just breaks my heart. This is a trend in Japan. Elderly women who are alone in Japan are saying, I, I, I don't want to live alone. So I'm going to do something that will put me in jail so that I can be around other people. This is how strong the desire for community and acceptance is. That a group of people would say, I, I, just, I can't do this anymore. I'd rather be in jail with others than here by myself. It is not good for us to be alone. Which then leads us to the question, how then do we heal and restore our truest nature, or how do we cultivate real connection in our modern world? I will offer you four ways that you can uh, cultivate real connection in our modern world. Please write these down. First one. Oh, wait, I don't know how that got there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be there for you. <laughs> oh, having too much fun here this morning. <laughs> I love it. I say, please write this down. Keaton's getting his phone out. He's like, shop. Wait. He's like, I, at the I, and he's like, wait a second. Is he really telling me to do this? Uh, okay, here, here we go. And, and these are really, really basic. These are just reminders. You all know these. Uh, so <laughs> here we go. Uh, shop, shop in the real world. Shop in the real world. Get out and meet some people. Don't buy everything on Amazon. <laughs> okay, now, let me tell you a crazy story. Uh, <laughs> so uh, this week, like I mentioned, everyone was sick. I didn't sleep through that. I mean, these kids were up all night. And the kids, they get croup. And so what you need to do when they get croup, they have trouble. It's like coughing and their lungs are, their, um, I guess their throat is restricted a little bit. You have to bring them outside because that the fresh air really helps open everything up. Uh, who was it? I can't even remember. I, I think it was Kit. Uh, it was both of them. But I think this night was Kit. I had her outside, and it was like 2.30 in the morning. And all of a sudden, I see these headlights, and they're stationary. And I go around the corner to see who in the world is parked outside of my house at 2.30. You know who it was? An Amazon delivery driver. What is Amazon doing delivering packages at 2.30 in the morning? Oh, my goodness. Uh, so uh, forget Amazon and get out and meet some people. Go meet the local barista or uh, the, the, clo the woman who owns the clothing store down the street. Get out and talk to some real flesh and blood people. Don't just sit at your computer and buy everything. I understand sometimes it's convenient, but get to know some of the local shopkeepers. Uh, get to rub shoulders with people around you. Uh, here's a second way. Uh, pick up the phone. And by pick up the phone, I don't mean stare into the screen. 
because I know it can be understood that way. But when I mean pick up the phone, I mean like call someone or even how about this one? FaceTime. Like we have, I, I love these modern, this modern technology. I have a friend, he's out in Pittsburgh and we'll just FaceTime like once a month or so. And it's great because I get to see him and I, I don't live close where I can just get in my car and drive over to see him. But at least I can see him through, through a screen, which isn't as good. But don't just text everyone. Don't just stay in contact with people through written messages on a phone. Actually call them, hear their voice, see their face, and then obviously get together with people uh, in, in person as well. Uh, and then here's a third, find your people. And this one is really, really important, which is why I put it third, because this one is extremely important. Uh, who are the ones that you can share it all with? Who are the ones that can help you carry your burdens? We've been talking quite a lot about this as we've been speaking about church. Uh, who are the ones that can walk through life with you? Who are the ones, and this is really important for me, this has been so helpful for me in my life, who are the ones to know who to actually spend time with? Who are the ones who draw out the best and the true in you? You all have people who bring out the worst in you. <laughs> you know who those people are. <laughs> Limit your time with them. <laughs> but who are the people that bring out the best in you? Get around them even more, as much as you possibly can. Who are your people? The people that draw out that which is most true to yourself. And then I, I did add another one because this is, uh, this one is a, uh, we'll do a fill in the blank. Because you all have ways in which you know how to cultivate love in your life. Something that is specific and unique to you. So what works for you? How, how can you do this? You know what works. You know what fills you with joy and with love. You know what fills you with all that other bad stuff that you really don't want. So you, you limit that. Is it you got to limit certain uh, like news or certain programs that you watch on TV or things that you look at online? Uh, li limit those things that bring out the worst in you and fill yourself with the things that bring out the best. So what is our truest nature? Who are we at our core? This is the question raised by Frankenstein, the question from the beginning of the Bible. You are a person of love. You're a person of compassion. You're a person of connection and forgiveness. You're a person of mercy, a person of acceptance for others. May you live into that reality. May you live into that truth. May you live into the person that God has created you to be. Because here's the final question. How much healing could our world see if we all cultivated the truest version of ourselves? Yeah, if we all pursued the truest version of ourselves, what would this world look like? Could some of the hatred, the bitterness, the unforgiveness, could it be healed? Could some of the violence in our world be healed if we committed ourselves to the path of Jesus? The path of bringing out the love and the connection and the mercy that's within us. Now, I believe healing is possible.